Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is a poltergeist actually a demon? What does exorcism actually do? And why doesn't it always work? Do we have it all wrong? Hey there, and welcome to the 560th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those burning questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we're pleased to welcome one of Canada's most familiar names in uh, paranormal research. And we welcome your phone calls this evening. The numbers are 401-766-1240 or anywhere, uh, lo- or well, that's locally, and from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-40 at the number to call. No, 449-1240. That's what I meant. Okay. <laughs> that's what I meant. Thank you, Ben. Dr. Peter Sacco is a former adjunct professor, uh, I'm sorry, adjunct psychology professor at Niagara University, Lewiston, New York, in the teacher education program, creator and instructor of the criminal psychology program at Narragansett, uh, Narragansett to Rhode Island, Niagara College in Ontario. He is also an instructor at Canada's McMaster University in the addiction studies program and police foundation study. In addition to 700 articles published in newspapers, magazines, and journals, Professor Sacco has to his credit many books. He hosts the TV series Niagara's Most Haunted and the weekly radio show Mental Health Matters, What's Worrying You? His site, petersacco.com, P-E-T-E-R-S-A-C-C-O.com. So, Dr. Peter Sacco, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you so much, Paul and Ben, for having me. This is an absolute treat for me to be on your show, especially on a Monday night. Yeah, yeah right. right. What, better way, Monday, what better way to end your Monday than be on our show? Uh, so, uh, before we begin, we also uh, welcome a special in-studio guest this evening, and that is our friend, Steve LaPlume. And he is uh, one of the eyewitnesses to the uh, Reynoldsham UFO incidents of 1980 while he was in the uh, U.S. Air Force. Uh, something we will not be talking about this evening, as like we talk about most evenings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Steve's been hanging out with us for the day. He's going to be kind of a guest host with us tonight. It's been a real pleasure. It's always great to have somebody in the studio. We're usually by ourselves. So yeah, then it just looks like we're talking to ourselves. Right. There you go. <laughs> so take it away, Ben. Okie doke. So let's start at the beginning, uh, Dr. Sacco. You're uh, a psychologist. What experience do you actually have with poltergeists? Well, first off, um, my experience is based very strongly on being a skeptic and a cynic. Um, I'm a person that needs to kind of see stuff to believe stuff. And I'll be brutally honest, I have never seen a poltergeist with my own eyes or have experienced anything of the norm with that. Um, the TV series that I host, um, it was created based on visiting and exploring a lot of haunted places from the 19, or sorry, um, late uh, 1700s to early 1800s all the way into the 1900s, which a lot of these places were War of 1812 places. So you know, we're in our third season of production, and after our first season, uh, we had the individuals, the police officers that were involved in the most one of the most famous poltergeist cases in Canadian history, if not North American history, from 1970. And it was so popular and famous that made it on the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, because he talked about it. Mm-hmm. And what it was, was for 28 days, um, and I have the seven police reports that were filled out in great detail, spoke to the police officers, and for 28 days, um, within this apartment building in the one apartment complex, where two boys and their parents lived, things anywhere from flying off the wall to one the kid, the boy sitting on a chair in the kitchen, levitating um, about 10 inches off the ground, to at one point three adults sitting on a couch, which was witnessed by the police officers as well as a crown attorney. 
saw these three adults on a couch floating almost two feet off the ground. And then um, it all culminated at the end when Bob Crawford, who was the police officer for the 28 days there, said he was in the kids' room where everything went haywire off the walls, flying around all but the crucifix, which didn't move. And then the kids' bed started levitating about 16 inches off the ground. That is as close as I've ever come to experiencing it, but it's through secondhand information. And as a general rule of thumb, when I see police reports, and I've worked with police many times, many cases, back in the day, I do not know one cop worth their weight in gold that would sign a police report as such unless it really happened. And then when you ask their peers and um, others that had retired since then, because, you know, they would look at them and go, yeah, those guys were crazy. They would, They were all pretty much humbled by it and said, yeah, it was the real deal. We had no idea. We were just totally out of our league with that case. Yeah, I really hear you there, Doctor, because I, I have experienced poltergeists, and I was involved in that case we've often mentioned on the air in Bridgeport, Connecticut in 1974, only a few years after the case you mentioned, and, and Lorraine Warren were involved, so there's a new book about it uh, that has uh, literally copies of the police reports, and I stood there with police officers and saw things happen, firefighters as well, and uh, I certainly agree that uh, these fellows would not sign something that, that did not happen, that 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 doesn't happen in their world, you know. So um, I know what you mean on that. So in, in your um, opinion, what is a poltergeist? Well, you know what? That's a great question. And, you know, and, and one of the guys that I do look at and look to for his uh, definitive outcome of it is the late, great Ed Warren, because he had a lot in this. I think Ed was a very credible source uh, when, you get, when you're getting contacted by not only a lot of high-profile agencies as well as churches, um, as well, I believe he was contacted at one point, or one part, at, by West Point. Um, you know, you're the real deal. And to, to make a long story short, to kind of answer it, um, when I've taught a course, courses in parapsychology um, as electives in the schools, what I found is that you're looking at a poltergeist falling into the domain of a parapsychology, which is a pseudo-science, pseudo-psychology. And with that said, it's based on psychokinetic energy, the ability to move things with the mind. Generally speaking, uh, a real poltergeist, a you know, basically a noisy spirit translated, is created by the mind. It's manifested basically by displacing energy, which this energy is usually caused by some sort of stress or trauma in a person's life, and they're usually under the age of puberty. Um, with that said, they don't do it willingly, and they can't control it. Now... All things held constant. You have to first buy into the fact that there is a such thing as parapsychology, that uh, psychokinetic energy, the ability to move things through psychokinesis with the mind, is really true. And if you then hold that, then that is what poltergeist would be. And just to add an addendum to that, I believe it was Ed Warren that stated, um, in laboratories where they've created the ability to manifest and move things with the mind, through psychokinesis, they've yet to move anything that is beyond three pounds. Well, really, they've yet to move anything heavier than a pencil, in my experience. But, yeah, I remember Ed saying that. Um, well, th that's a very interesting statement, because um, Ed, War uh, particularly in this Bridgeport case, anything I ever worked with him on, he thought it was demons. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that's where you're going, you know, where you, you fall into the domain of this case that happened in St. Catharines. Yeah. When you've got coaches levitating, and the interesting thing was um, with this case was I asked a lot of questions, especially to the police that had attended that investigation, 
And eventually, at one point, they were banned. There was a ban on the police from going in there, because basically, what are the cops going to do? As one cop um, had stated to me, he goes, Peter, it's like hitting a um, black ice in the winter. You're driving on smooth pavement, then you hit this tremendously long patch of black ice. Your vehicle's spinning completely out of control, and you're just gripping the wheels with white knuckles and hoping that it's going to land or it can steer itself out into a safe place. And he says that's what that investigation was. No sort of police training or schooling had prepared them for that. And so with that said, I had asked them all, what, why, why the heck did this just stop? And they said on day 28, for the third time, a priest went into that apartment complex, and I said, what did the priest do? And the priest would not say what they did. There was never any formal report on what was done, but it just stopped after that priest went in there on day 28. And, and guys, you know what was really funny about this here? I'm, you know, digging, digging around here and poking and then finding out that, you know, they're trying to say, okay, this has probably got to do something with the alignment of the planets, and it was a 28-day lunar cycle. Well, a good friend of mine, he's the head of, he's a doctor, and he's the head of a, and a he's an astronomer, uh, a professor, in it, and he says, well, Peter, for crying out loud, the moon is always up there for 28 days. In fact, it's up there for 365 days of the year. <laughs> Whether it's full or not, we can't see it all, but it's still there in completeness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, right. Um, I don't know. Uh, in those days, because with, with the greatest respect to those with PhDs in psychology, I did some grad work in psychology, but my degree is in philosophy and theology. Um, I, I just... I never, it was never quite good enough for me, having, having seen this. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't like to say anything bad about anybody, and I had the, the greatest respect for Ed and Lorraine. We, had, you know, we were very close personally, but I, and I have a lot of happy memories of them. But they were, the reason we, we, we sort of split in 1978, and it was amicable, was that I, I disagreed with his, his theories and his methods. And um, that, that was... Uh, he didn't, he didn't take easily to criticism. But in any case, when I was in that house, and in, there were two major cases in, in my career that I've met poltergeists in, I believe, and I've been injured in two of them, both of them, was um, the opinion that these were not produced by any agent, as is the term in parapsychology, but were, were somehow real life forms, okay? And as I would stand there and watch things levitate and things flying off the wall and things hit me in the leg, um, I just really got the impression that there was not an entity behind that. And again, this, this is just me. Maybe it's wrong. But that the conditions that allowed these entities to manifest, which I think are more to do with quantum physics than anything else, in my opinion, uh, where you have uh, theoretical worlds in which the laws of physics are different than they are here, uh, that that something behind that was what was responsible for 300-pound refrigerators levitating, or as you say, the couch in St. Catherine's case, which I have read about. Obviously, it wasn't there, but and this sort of thing. But it is really anyone's guess, and I, I just I didn't I just never thought any of the explanations, either theological or parapsychological, were good enough to explain at least what I saw. What say you? For me. Mm. You know what? Like I said, I'm going into this guy as a total cynic, sure. a total skeptic. I really and I really can't say exactly what it is. For um, I, I guess basically, and this is the, you know the analogy of I've always used in talks, especially when um, I've been invited to be on TV shows or whatever, and they say, "Well, what have you seen or whatever?" And to be honest, I I've seen stuff on film, 
And that I will say, I, we've got the face of a phantom on film. And this was looked at umpteen times by different people and scrutinized. And this face is just disturbing as heck. And you, you can see it as plain as day in a window. And it's in a, in a 250-year-old building that's derelict, where a lot of people used to do not-so-cool stuff. They did psychic stuff in there. They did a seance and all this stuff. Mm. And it was one of the buildings that survived the War of 1812. Um, and a lot of these places were actually used as hospitals and medical centers during the war. So with that said, I, I just don't see a lot of the things that people say, well, you know, you're just not open to it because, you you know, you don't believe it. That's why, you know, why you don't see it. So how, how I always qualify this is back in the day, Galileo literally got crucified for saying that the world was round. <laughs> well, there, there, were, there was political, and he wasn't crucified. Anyway, go ahead. Exactly, exactly. But I'm using this as a pun. Sure. Okay, I'm using it as a figure. He was ripped to shreds because it went against the political belief of the day. With that said, if you were to tell people many, many years ago before Newton basically came up with the concept of gravity, you know, people were like, what, what, what's this gravity thing? But the bottom line is, is, is there anybody in there that can show me gravity without dropping something? No, it's there. But yet you're not going to be stupid enough to go jump off the Empire State, Mount, State Building to prove your point. To say, okay, let's see if it doesn't work this time. Because you know that there's a consistent, just like electricity. I don't know what electricity is. I know it works, though. And I can't see it unless I've got some sort of ability through, um, in, you know, through imaging or a current that I can actually cast my eye in. But if it's just sitting there. The socket, I know if I put my finger in there, I'm going to get zapped, even though I can't see anything happening. So with that said, the, where I'm backing up what you're saying is perhaps there are these, it is quantum physics, but we don't have the technology yet to discern it or see it yet. Yeah, We're not there yet. Yes, yeah. and that's where I would agree. Perhaps it's a parallel universe. Perhaps it's another dimension, but we just cannot see it yet because we do not have hologrammatic technology to see this stuff. Or do we need technology? I feel as if our our dependence upon technology in this day and age, not not to get into a spiritualist realm where it's like, well, it's all in your mind, man. What, I, what I'm saying is it's more of, um, we depend a lot upon technology, and I feel as if we shouldn't rule out um, our, our ancestors, because they, sh they sure as heck were not stupid. And there's a lot to be learned from what our forefathers and forefathers before them have, have done. And perhaps it's the materialistic assumptions that we all have, whether we know it or not, or whether we say it or not, that really base this sort of, um, this model of, well, we need a materialistic uh, sort of mechanism for this to occur, when we really can't do that in our, our frame of reference, because our frame of reference is extremely small, all we have are our five senses, and that's pretty much all we really rely upon. So if there's something that's extrasensory, if you will, using that in a, in a very loose manner, then it's very hard to plot something on a map if the map is, is translucent. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I just believe that sometimes there are some things, I think, that are beyond the scope of our ability to explain things because we want to put them in mundane, scientific um, technological terms that make sense to us that fit to the norms of what physics is, what science is, whereas basically a lot of this stuff you could say it's quasi-science that we perhaps don't even have the abilities to explain it in any terms of formula, and sometimes things are just there. For example, uh, one of my mentors I've had on my radio show is Jack Canfield. I look up to Jack Canfield big time. He's probably one of the, 
the, the, best, the most successful authors in this entire world, sure. you know, Chicken yeah. Soup for the Soul, The Secret. And Jack says, hey, a lot of people don't buy into the law of attraction, but you take a look at any of the people that are teaching and using it, they're all gazillionaires, and it's working all for them. So just because, you know, I can't see it, I don't believe it, it ain't working for me, well, if it ain't working for you, are you not putting out a frequency that's bringing in, well, more of it ain't working for me, therefore, it's actually working for you, but in a negative way. But we just can't measure that stuff. Hmm. Okay. Did you have... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I was processing that, that <laughs> thought in my, in my head. Double negatives get me every time. Uh, many people confuse poltergeists with possession of a house or a person. So what's the difference between the two? Oh, I, you know what, I, if I was to look at this, you know, explain it from what I've learned um, taking parapsychology courses back in the day in university, I, you know, I would say the poltergeist sort of deal is something that is just created by the mind. It's, it's done with some sort of energy or working with, within the system, there's an energy component. And... <laughs> I know Chris Carter used to try to go about it, you know, and have fun with it in the TV series, The X-Files, which yes. is one of my favorite shows of all time. And before him, the Coal Shack, the Night Shocker, I don't remember that. It was oh, great. I remember Darren that. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, the night Darren Shocker. McGavin, and, was it? Oh, yes. That was, yeah, yeah. awesome, awesome yeah. show. And that's how they kind of explained it in a roundabout way, the ability to manipulate um, the surroundings um, by some ability. Um it, whereas I think if you're going the other route and then, you know, with the demonic thing and that, then you're relying on a spiritual premise, a spiritual belief system that there is a hell or there is some sort of bad place, Hades, whatever the heck you want to call it, another dimension where there are these bad things, these entities that are looking to try to get into this place. Um, I, you know what? I've, I've always wondered because... I've always believed where there's smoke, there's always fire. We always have these stories. I can't believe that every single person that's come out with these stories of demonic possession or has witnessed it were, you know, victims or asymptotic to mass hysteria where they were just thinking they were seeing stuff because I just don't believe it because some of these people are really sound, normal people. And some of the ones I've spoken to guys, they're normal, average people that are skeptics, they're cynics. And here's the one that always makes me really um, more reticent in believing them is the fact that I have tourists that come to the area here in Niagara Falls. A lot of them are from Japan, Europe, um, different parts, you know, when I say Europe, England, UK, Australia, that have watched their show. They see it when they're visiting here on in the motels on the TV, and they visited some of these historical places. Now, a lot of them have no idea that there's a ghost story that exists there, they were not there to see ghosts because these places are not being sold as haunted places, rather than historic, rather historical places. And these people were not there as ghostbusters, but yet they saw something, which is kind of interesting because they saw something because they were not there to criticize it or to refute it or even to look for it. It just happened to them. So I don't know if you want to say they were in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time. Hmm. And it just buys into how would somebody or these people want to bring this up when they have no idea, but yet it corroborates stories from what people have seen in the past. And they're, you know, they're from a different culture, different nationality, and they can barely speak English. Okay. 
Well, that leads perhaps into the issue of the uh, Niagara area being, uh, quote-unquote, haunted. But before we get to that, I wanted to sort of introduce the subject, uh, and maybe we can bring Steve in on this, the subject of um, something we work on very seriously, Ben and myself, and that's the, the notion that th- these phenomena never really affect one house or one family or one area, but there are always... We, we seem to detect flaps, in, as parts of all these cases, and, and one of them uh, we're working on in Central Connecticut right now. It started with ghosts and led to UFOs and all kinds of stuff that seem to be uh, related in, a, in, in the sense of, of uh, a phenomenological sense. And Steve, of course, being an eyewitness to the Reynoldson Forest UFO case of 1980, which any listener worth his salt in the show knows all about because we talk about it tremendously. And uh, have you? So the question: Have you? noticed or have you in any of your recording of cases or investigations or whatever looked beyond the locus and quo looked looked beyond the site to perhaps the neighbors have they had anything strange have there been concurrent sightings of ufos bigfoot you know anything like that that's really strange that may be coincidence but might not be have um uh, is is part of the methodology that you use or the people you know use uh does it include a broader scope than just one house or one area or something like that oh absolutely which is uh, it, it is interesting because this past season we're right now in a season three in fact we're going to be filming this wednesday at the bank bistro it's an old bank complex in fort erie um canada that's been haunted for a hundred years and people from all walks of life that have come from the American side over to eat at this beautiful restaurant all the way to people that just want to go sit at the bar have reported seeing different apparitions. And it's always the same different three types of apparitions seen by people, just people right across different cross cultures. So what is interesting about this, guys, is we have an area here. It's, it's literally six minutes from my house driving. It, it's very well known. It's called the Screaming Tunnel. It was so well known that... Oh, I've heard of that. Stephen King yeah, Stephen King's movie, The Dead Zone, well, his book, The Dead Zone, starring Christopher Walken and Martin Sheen back in the 80s. So Stephen, or Christopher Walken was in that tunnel. This tunnel, I have filmed at it's five different production companies for five different shows, and all five times the equipment has gone dead in that tunnel for no reason at all. There is zero reason as to why the equipment could or should go dead. Well, the legend around this is that in this tunnel, back in the 1800s, a girl perished in their young girl. She burned to death in there, and eventually her ghost started to haunt the tunnel, that if you go in there at midnight, you light a candle, you blow it out, or it gets blown out by her, and then you'll hear her scream. Well, basically all it is, there's like a vortex within the tunnel from cross breezes. And, you know, it, it, it's easily remedied that way. Sure. But what was really interesting with this, because you're asking about the area. The place is supposedly haunted. We've had people in there investigating, and they said, absolutely. Some of these have been psychic investigators, and some of these psychics, uh, it depends on what you want to call reputable. Some of these have worked on with major police forces to find murder suspects, missing people, and all that stuff. Yeah, I respect that. They've all said, yeah, they've all said definitely that place is just, you know, it gives you the willies or something not so good there. Well, we bring ghost bus or ghost investigators, and usually the guys we have are debunkers. They get a case, and they say, they go there with the prime reason to explain it scientifically, and then some of them, they're like, well, this is not a scientific explanation. This is something beyond. Well, around that tunnel, all around there is farmland, and it's a hillside. What we found 
there. There was no girl that died in there. There's no police reports. We've never found that. No abductions of a girl either that was ever killed in there. But what we did when we were looking into it, there is, um, if you want to call it, somewhat legend that is based on um, history that when the Mayflower did come over and the Pilgrims landed in the States, there was a group of occultists that were into black magic and Voden that were on that boat, supposedly, and they settled in that mountainside, the hillside around that tunnel. And supposedly they did, they did their black magic there, and supposedly that area is hexed or cursed or whatever you want to call it. So what we do see is that the land adjacent to there has not a really good reputation either. Well, I, I, I seriously doubt, what, one of the other things I do is history, I seriously doubt that they were on the Mayflower. However, who knows, it might have been some other group. Ben and I are descended from nine people who are on the Mayflower, and I, I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't think that, that that's legitimate. However, there could be, but you say there could have been a group, and that can create problems. Um, all right, let's bring Steve in on this a little bit. Now, Steve, we've been hanging out today and talking about Rendlesham and things like this and many other things. Um, were you aware of things at Randallstrom Forest, because I've talked to others who were there in the Air Force at the time, uh, besides the, the strange uh, UFO sightings of December 1980? Uh, there were reports in the Forest of ghosts and all sorts of different things, and, and some of the same things that, that, uh, that Dr. Sacco has been talking about. Uh, what was your experience in talking with others over there, and certainly your own experience? Yeah, actually being a newbie over there, I don't know if they just try to scare us or not, but there was uh, all sorts of tales of uh, East End Charlie, which was a... Uh, World War II uh, fighter pilot that had uh, a German fighter pilot that had crashed, and his ghost apparently haunted the East End um, until they found his body in the 50s, yeah. and then the hauntings went away once uh. they, you know, brought him back to his homeland. But I mean, there was stories about um, if you see a girl riding a bike on the side of the road at night, don't look at her because when she turns around, she has no face, yeah. and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But that that whole part of the country was very, um, um, I guess you would call occultish i mean that's where witchcraft was very heavy and that sort of thing so yeah you know in a you know to this day that goes on in the forest because they're attracted by the what they believe are the energies over there yeah yeah and, yeah. and that's the question i had was do you think that uh, you know this positive energy is it perhaps like a negative negative energy you know we were talking about you know the fact that i was over in thailand when the tsunami hit and how the animals went wild well mm. how did the animals go nuts and know how to hit the high ground and not get killed sure you know it's just the energy feeling or something like that yeah. i mean you know, I don't know if perhaps uh, humans have that as well, and yeah. you know they're more susceptible to positive and negative energy. Maybe they're throwing something out or opening up some yeah. vortex that sucks in stuff. Well, that could be a question for Peter. I mean, yeah. do do animals? Uh, how do animals act around that tunnel or, or certain other areas? Or has that been looked at? Uh, we've never done anything like that, but I do really definitely believe we just did a fundraising for our Halloween party for. Our, um our annual one that we do for the TV show, and we did it for guide dogs for blind, deaf, as well as autistic kids. Uh -huh. And definitely, the person that did the, you know, did the, the display and the presentation with the guard with the guide dog, the fellow himself had autism. And as they said, some people, and I've worked with police that use seizure dogs, <laughs> um, definitely for drugs and for smuggling and all that stuff. And uh, you know, and I think with Steve, you bring up a point: animals are attuned to stuff that humans aren't. And I can go one step further. I think kids are, too, because we, as adults, have critical sensors on, but I think kids and animals see stuff and pick up on stuff that we don't. Yeah, seemingly. Well, we're going to take our, our break. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON. 
1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We're talking with Dr. Peter Sacco, a fascinating conversation about, particularly, we're going to get into the Niagara area as far as being a haunted. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Greg Bell, the host of When Radio Was. I'm Marty Bill. Is that you under that blindfold? Bill, with this thing on, I can't see who I am. No, I imagine not. Can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? On a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. When Radio Was, shows from the past for today's imaginations. When Radio Was airs Monday through Friday right here on ON 1240 Radio at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Okay, welcome back. And before we get back to our, our fascinating guest, Dr. Peter Sacco, I wanted to tell you about some of the charities Ben and I have adopted. And these include USACares.org, doing wonderful things financially for our veterans and their families uh, of the war on terror. And certainly uh, in Los Angeles, uh, the, it's not, not a veterans organization, but YouthMentoringConnection.org, the, the youth, YouthMentoring.org, they're doing great things using indigenous wisdom to reach at-risk youth. And uh, Tony Larray out there is having some great luck. Also, our friend Mike Blaze in Ontario, where our guest is tonight. Uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, doing important things uh, legislatively and from a legal standpoint for Canada's veterans, who, as you know, have been with us all along in the war on terror. So please check those organizations out and support them. Okay, let's get back to our guest, uh, Dr. Peter Sacco, psychologist, parapsychologist, and a media personality up there in uh, Ontario. Now, uh, Doctor, would you tell us... um, I don't know, I guess Peter, uh, well, I guess um, we have a question here from Steve, so mm-hmm. we'll just take it from there. Yeah, yeah Doctor, I had a question. Um, you had mentioned that the uh, Niagara region was one of the most haunted areas in uh, North America. Can you kind of explain that to me, and, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, you know what, Steve, it's interesting. I, and I'm really happy, ecstatic to live in one of the most beautiful places, and I always put that out, you know, in the world, because we have the falls here, Um and also, if you look at the civilization, we live in one of the most um, early developed areas within North America um, where there's a lot of history. You know, and you guys have Gettysburg, West Virginia, Washington, and that. Um, and then for us, this is our pyramids, our old forts, our old buildings. So if you look at the Renaissance of Canada and the United States, you know, we're younger nations as compared to places like Egypt, Rome, those places, especially China, where these places were developed thousands of years ago, but not us. And with that said, you know, if you're looking at the earliest settlements of here, a lot of them were really tragic, tragic ones based around tragedy because of the amounts of wars that went under between the Americans and the British. You know, Britain was trying to colonize um, Canada here, and the states was didn't want it, and they were going back and forth with this. So there was a lot of bloodshed and a lot of battles around here. So with that said, a lot of the places, a lot of the ghosts that people report seeing are apparitions or ghosts of soldiers. Um, tourists see them going up uh, Lundy's Lane and Drummond Hill. This is where one of the biggest battles was fought in North America, the Battle of Drummond Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, that's where I believe it's Laura Secord's final resting place in Tecumseh, they believed, was buried there as well. And with that said, you have people from other parts of the world seeing soldiers at night they've reported that are like almost transparent missing legs going up and down um, Drummond Hill. Um, there's a golf course out in Niagara-on-the-Lake where old Fort Mississauga is, and golfers, um, when you're getting closer to twilight, who have been golfing, see ghosts going across this golf course 
because there's this old fort. That's where a lot of the you know the battlefield was, and not to mention in the Chippewa area, um, all the way from Chippewa all the way to Fort Erie. And a lot of it's interesting because where we're going to be filming on Wednesday, people see the apparition of a black American boy that's in a time period of the 1800s. In that entire area, that is where a lot of black Americans came across, they swam across the Niagara River to get to Canada to get away from slavery. And supposedly, psychics have said, yeah, a lot of these folks died in the tunnels that were underneath the ground that led to Canada, and this is where they wound up drowning. So there's a lot of this kind of history tied to wars uh, on both sides of the border, as well as the slavery movement. Okay. Well, with the greatest respect to your, your, your region, which is very, very beautiful. I wish I could visit more often, and when I do, we'll hook up for, for lunch or something. Uh, I just, the, the entire planet, seem, that seems to be the normal state of our planet, is, is being haunted, so to speak. But the question is, what do you mean haunted? Um, I be, early on, began, despite Ed Warren's influence, I early on began to question whether these are really spirits of the dead. And, I, and maybe you have an opinion on this, uh, because why would they be wearing clothes? Why, why would they be as they were in life? Why would they even have bodies that you could see? I mean, unless it was more about time than it was about death. And that's what I just. It, there were logical inconsistencies in the entire classical spiritualist interpretation that just bothered me. And finally, I just rejected it altogether. I mean, um, have you reached out for an explanation for this, or or what? I mean, what do you say? The best explanation, you know, that I get usually from the people that are the real deal, like the investigators, the paranormal investigators, and the psychics. And they are the stuff. real deal. I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. After this stuff. Yeah, they chase after this stuff. I don't. So when we're doing our show on that, and I'm asking, what is the real deal with this stuff? Like, what would you say? A lot of times they'll say they're not really ghost beats. They're apparitions. Basically, it's like a Polaroid that they're imprinted on universal ether and they just replay themselves over and over and they're not cognizant. Universal that ether. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And they'll say that they're imprinted. And so then my question is, and this was put out by a mayor of Fort Erie, as well as many, many, many people, including archaeologists, that for about 30-something years, there's a place called Snake Hill, that's at Fort Erie, the actual fort, and it's the land around it, people would report seeing, there was always a story about a U.S., two U.S. soldiers, after they took over Fort Erie, they burned the bloody place, they then had the place, and I guess the Brits were still pissed off, and they fired a cannon. One night, while two British soldiers, one was shaving, and I believe the other one was having a drink or whatever the heck it was. This was what the story, how it went. And this had been going on for many decades, that people would see the two ghosts on this place called Snake Hill, a headless ghost and also a ghost with no hands, and they were wearing um, U.S. uniforms. Now, this was a legend. Everybody made jokes of it, and it was, you know, the big thing back in the day, take your dates out there, scare the hell out of them, and say, well, you see the ghosts or whatever. Okay, but this story did exist. There was no doubting the story exists, and I spoke to the mayor of Fort Erie about this and other people that are dignitaries. They said, yeah, that story's always been around some 30, 40 years that people reported always seeing these two ghosts on there, and they were U.S. soldiers. And the story went, a cannon was fired as the ball was coming over. The one fellow who was, you know, basically um, shaving was behind the other guy having the drink. The guy who was having the drink dropped his drink, 
trying stupidly to catch, you know, stop the ball from coming, much <laughs> like, you know, you're at a baseball game and you lift your hands and you try to catch the ball and you realize, hey, I don't want to catch that thing. It's coming too fast, so you duck and the person behind you gets it in the face. Well, the guy lost his hands trying to catch the ball, and the guy behind him took the ball took his head off. This was the best story. So with that said, guys, two years ago we were filming, and the mayor of Fort Erie says, do you want to hear something really funky? Because this is going to kind of blow your doors off. And he goes, remember this ghost story that's been going around for decades and decades, and people reporting, seeing this? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, those folks that you were just talking to at Birdie Hall, which were all university students that are doing archaeological digs around the fort, he was telling me about 12, 15 years ago, ironically, they actually found a shallow grave not too far from the fort, as they were excavating, they wanted to start doing digs around there to see about establishing foundations to put in condos and all that stuff. It got halted. They found dead bodies in there. Ironically, they believed they were American soldiers. And two out of those bodies, one was missing a head and one was missing his hands. That is documented, guys. Yeah. I don't know. I respect that. I just question the process. Uh, in other words... Um I was an early advocate of the residual haunting theory or the recording theory, but you know when you really think about it, but I rejected it because in some cases I was able to change the phenomenon. All right, you know, for years it had been this sound or that apparition, and by interacting with it, I was I was able to change it in some cases, and so that it either never occurred again or it just uh, changed changed into something else. And I began to realize, well, recording on the recording on, recorded on what? What process would be involved here? You'd need tremendous amounts of, say, iron oxide in uh, in, in in the stone or the rock in, or, in order to uh, record even a, a smattering of sound. Never mind a, a, a complete video, you know, sometimes with audio included. There had to be something more to it. Again, it wasn't good enough. However, you know, I don't doubt what you say at all. I mean, I've seen a lot more than a lot of people realize. But it's just the process and what it means about our world and what, how we're interpreting stuff. And whether it's some quaint, ghostly spirit thing, you know, you can you tell around a campfire, that's one thing. But whether it has profound implications for what we are, where we're going, where we've been, uh, time, our understanding of, of anything, our whole epistemology, that's another issue. I think it's a lot heavier than just ghost stories, personally, you know. I mean, I'd, so I think we're dealing with something a lot more than just recording or dead spirits or whatever. I mean... Uh, I know you, you you reserve judgment, and I respect your skepticism, but that's just my two cents anyway. But uh, no, but but very interesting, um, interesting stuff around there. But I, I, again, I, I would say the entire everywhere you go on the planet, you're going to hear things like this because it seems to be the normal state. Um, well, you know what's kind of interesting with that, and I've had friends of mine, friends upon friends on that stuff, which I kind of find intriguing. You had you have Egypt. You basically had one of the. Tremendous amounts of slavery there that died. You have the whole, you know, the Exodus story and everything. So you had a lot of deaths. There are a lot of harsh deaths, but yet I'm not reading or hearing a lot about these pyramids or anything around there being haunted. Well, you know why? I'll, I'll, I'll venture a guess on that because that's Egypt. That's folklore. Egypt was not a slave-based society. Rome was a slave-based society, and and uh, you're right. Around Rome, you get, everything's haunted. But in Egypt, what they would do with the farmers in, in the, uh, the off-season when the Nile was not flooding and they couldn't farm was they would put them under public works projects. They, they'd go steal all the gold from Ethiopia and their neighbors and all this stuff, come back. It was a tremendous welfare program. 
And plus, if the farmers had nothing to do, they might rebel. So they kept them busy on these public works projects. And uh, this seems to be what historically what occurred. And they were not a slave-based society. I mean, as I question the whole, yeah, despite my background in theology, I question the whole Exodus story, at least the way it was written from that sense, because it was uh, probably talking about the Hittite, I, mean, I don't know. But, I mean, it was not a slave-based society. So, uh, Okay, but let's, oh, sorry to interrupt but it was, Oh, no, 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 but, but got, based on, on your narrative, I mean, that might be a reason. But what I meant, what, what I'm curious still, it's very peculiar, is I've got many blokes that are from Australia that I talk to all the time, friends of mine, and I asked them, what's it like in Australia with the ghost thing? And they said, huh, not a hell of a lot, man. We don't really get in that folklore or any of that stuff. We don't see a lot of this stuff. But then yet I talked to these friends from Scotland, and Scotland is tremendously, supposedly, quote-unquote, haunted, and they see this stuff. So I guess the question I'm asking, is it more based on cultural perception or what they want to believe and see? Perhaps, although we must have different friends in Australia, because we have a large listenership there. You wouldn't believe some of the emails. Maybe they're pulling our legs sometimes, but they can't all be. Uh, you wouldn't believe some of the stuff we hear from Australia, not just ghostly stuff, but uh, you know, time slips and dinosaurs walking by people's windows. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. But, uh, again, I think as your, your cultural perception, you may have a point there. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I had a question, or maybe a comment here. Um, I, I lived in China for eight and a half years, and um, you were talking about culturally. Culturally in China, they're very, very superstitious ghosts. Mm. They pray to their ancestors. They do oh, tomb big sweeping big time and yeah. stuff. So, you know, the, the cultural aspect might be something there. And um, um, being a psychologist like you, I was just curious. Do you think a lot of that is in people's heads and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I want to see a ghost, I want to see a ghost, therefore I saw a ghost type thing. You know what, Steve? I think it can go both ways. And I'm always, I'm a first, the first person to say is, I will never doubt somebody for what they really do have faith in and what they believe in. If that's the reality, who am I to say you haven't seen it? Um, I, I, I think we judge people based on because we don't believe in something, therefore it can't exist and it doesn't fit into our way of thinking or our realm of understanding. Therefore, if it's that way, it's impossible. And I try to steer clear of that as a person who is a quote-unquote a possibility thinker, that I think that there's a lot of possibilities out there, and I think the reason a lot of people don't see things ever or experience things ever is they just shut it completely down. But with that said, I will say there's a lot of people that are easily mass. Uh, hypnotized or the ability to operate under hysteria where they really want to see something or believe something. Um, I do stand-up hyp- uh, stage hypnosis. Um, I've done it for many years. I haven't done it recently, but I've hypnotized um, people to witness crime. I- I'll give you a prime example. I made an entire auditorium uh, watch one of my favorite movies of all time, Sudden Impact, starring Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry. And I showed them the diner scene where it's being held up, and then he comes in, you know, go ahead, make my day, and that stuff. And I hypnotized several people to watch that entire diner scene in front of one of our leading polygraphers here that does polygraph. And I made these people watch the Three Stooges come in there and hold that place up. And while they're watching this, they're hypnotized. They're laughing hysterically. Another group I hypnotized in front of this auditorium at the same time, I put them in a heightened state of awareness. They'd be under the ability to even witness how many buttons were done, undone on the perpetrator's jackets that were holding this place up. I then They were then hooked up to polygraph, and under polygraph, those that witnessed the Three Stooges passed it as saying they saw the Three Stooges. 
those that witnessed it as seeing the actual perpetrators saw it as the perpetrators. They passed it. So I'm just what I wanted to prove is that the mind has the ability to make people really want to see what they want to see. Hmm. Well, th- th- that's I have no doubt that that's true. But I, I can't help but look back at my own experiences in the presence of, in, in one case, six other witnesses where we an invisible ox cart went right by. Everybody heard it. Uh, you know, it was absolutely undeniable. And then certainly in that, in the the, the case of several poltergeist cases, particularly the two I mentioned before, one, I'm standing there with police officers, and, I mean, it, it was far from being in just in our minds, I mean, from an, any objective standpoint. And the other one, of course, with a chair flying across the room that probably would have knocked my block off had it, had it hit me uh, in the presence of one other person. But, but uh, on the other hand, I think uh, your interpretation certainly is valid in many cases. I mean, the... Uh, the idea that um, groups of people seeing certain things, one thinks of often the, some of the miracles like at Fatima and the uh, miracle of the sun, as it's called. You know, people seeing you know, hundreds or perhaps thousands of people seeing things. And in, the, in an area, by the way, which had been noted for uh, fairies during pagan times and was considered haunted in many ways, and then all of a sudden you have this apparition. So, but, uh, so a certainly point well taken. Uh, okay, so... so um, what about exorcisms? We wanted to get into that a little bit uh, in, in the few minutes we have. Actually, let's not talk about that just now because I want to. We're going to burn up this hour because it's a fascinating conversation. Tell us about your books and your website and where people can find out more before we run out of time. Yeah, absolutely. If you wanted to check out and learn more about my books, actually, I got some free books on there. If you're really into vampires and zombies, that kind of fun stuff, I was at a comic con and we do a lot of presentations at them for a TV show and that, and I was hanging out with one of the actors from The Vampire Diaries, who plays a vampire, and another fellow from The Walking Dead, um, a prominent character. And I said, like, guys, what the heck's up with vampires and zombies? Everybody loves them. So we got chatting, and I wrote a, it's a book, free book, on my website, petersacco.com, at petersacco.com, called Why the Hell Serial Killers? Why are so many people fascinated with serial killers, which are vampires and zombies? So you can you can d- get download that for free and check it out, and... Kind of look at what you really think about vampires and zombies, if there's a such thing as a, the zombie apocalypse coming. And um, also other books on Niagara's Most Haunted, my TV series, my book Niagara's Most Haunted, as well as um, Paranormal Niagara, The Case of the Mysterious Macabre, which is on petersacco.com, as well as our TV website, niagara'smosthaunted.com. And um, and it explains some of the stuff, and definitely what I really believe, uh, you, 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 you know, you've definitely brought up, which I think is a great point, Paul, the fact that when you've got different people all witnessing the same thing, especially when you have cynics standing there that are seeing the same thing, then yeah. you know there's something real going on there. One of them really was. That's why he was there with us, because he was a complete skeptic. You know, and I think that, you know what, that's all I've always said. When people go, well, you really believe in that stuff? Well, I said, if you've got a bunch of people standing around and they're all seeing it with their own eyes, especially you've got the Doubting Thomas that's watching it with their own eyes, you know damn well there's some fire burning there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so getting back to the notion of possession and exorcism, uh, and, and this kind of gets into the same idea of uh, certainly of psychology because uh, I was involved way back in the 70s as a seminary student um, assisting with exorcisms and stuff, sort of an un, unofficial capacity, not performing them, but, but assisting uh, in uh, psychiatric hospitals. Uh, I often found what I thought were misinterpretations of what this stuff actually was, because we were approaching the theological point of view. Sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't work. And uh, it seemed that there was more going on here, particularly psychologically, than anything else. So what, what's your opinion of exorcisms and uh, how, how that, that situation works? 
Well, I think if they've been going on for as many centuries, and I'm not saying, you know, years, decades, we're talking centuries, these things have been going on. Um, I, I think there's a fine line. I think uh, myself as a believer, I was raised Roman Catholic, I'm a Christian, so in my beliefs, I actually do believe that there is, you know, there is a heaven and there's a hell. Um, I also believe as a man of science in, in psychiatry and psychology that there's also a lot of mental illnesses that have been written up um, called demonic possessions when they really aren't. Like back in the day, I believe people, certain people that were epileptic, certain people that had schizophrenia, they had other disorders, were probably mentally, you know, possessed, if you want to call it, with the illness. But on the flip side, there are normal, sane people that do really bad, heinous, evil things that don't have um, basically a psychiatric illness, per se, in the fact that they know what they're doing because they try to hide what they're doing. They also are very methodical. They're diabolical. They show no shame, guilt, sense of remorse, or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. The people like the Paul Bundy, or, or the John Wayne Gacy's, Ted Bundy's, Paul Bernardo's up here in Canada, the Adolf Hitler's, the Stalin's that do evil stuff, and you wonder, what is their M.O. for doing this stuff? Like, you know, their driven method for wanting to do this, and then I wonder sometimes, are they really possessed with some evil spirit? Well, that's a good question. One of the thing I, things I ran into in, in the uh, hospital situations was what, what seemed to be uh, psychoses intertwined with paranormal phenomena. And the question arose... For me, with some, let's take schizophrenia, where people often hear voices and see things. Uh, are they? Is it really a chemical imbalance in the brain, or some some sort of uh, actual mental problem, or is uh, could these people, in, at least in some cases, be seeing worlds that are really there but that we don't see? You know, and, and or, or could could it be a mixture of both? And I've actually addressed groups of psychiatrists on this twice. And the, uh, I brought that up, and of course the steam came out of the ears, and their eyes turned red. But when they, they would come up to me individually afterwards and say, you know, I've, I've often wondered if that could be the case about you know them really seeing things that are actually there, and and they would. Um, but of course I can't say anything because I'd lose my job. You know, so there's a certain political reality as well, and, and if, I suppose for good reason, one does have to keep one's feet on the ground. But uh, these are, but I didn't have to, so these questions arose for me, you know. So, um, and again, this comes back to uh, uh, one of the original questions, you know, do we assume that these things fit our, whether it be theological or historical or or philosophical or even any kind of scientific parameters, uh, and then we therefore miss the point of them, or do they? Go outside of science, or, or what? What is the story here? That's, uh, that's those are questions I've asked. Oh, absolutely! I, I've always believed, and it goes back to you know when you study intro parapsychology and you study some of the parapsychology courses that when you look at people that have had you know intense cases of schizophrenia or even people that have just bottomed out on LSD experiences, um, have they had a white light experience? Have they had a near death experience where they've crossed a fine line and not come back? That's what some people say, that they're potentially, you know, spiritually or even part of their mental capacity is trapped in another dimension or they've went too far and they have not been able to come back. Um, I know one movie that really addressed this, which I thought was really, really cool, and I believe it's now out on video. It's called Deliver Us From Evil, starring Eric Bana. It's a really cool story that explores, I guess it's based on a real police investigation. A New York cop um, investigates, there was a series of crimes 
and they actually brought a priest involved because it involved something to do with the demonic possession, and it was it tied in the exorcism stuff. And then some people in in the movie, I believe, and I saw it. Um, it was excellent, well done, and it looked at the fine line between mental health illness versus demonic possession. Yeah, no, that, that's true. I just again, you know, there were several. Uh, well, I was involved in about in ten exorcisms three of them on the same person, which I thought was very inadvisable, you know, like, like they're going to listen to me, you know, and, and it was like, um, there was just something else going on here, I just, it seemed as though there was, first of all, there seems to be a tacit acceptance on the part of the victim uh, w- when this occurs, and second, there seems to be almost an identity between the being, if it's, that's what it is, I believe it is, uh, and, and the personality of the, the person involved. There has to be almost an agreement and a bonding there, which I think leads to other conclusions other than, the, than theological ones. I mean, we just assume that these, these creatures, if that's what they are, have the same theology we have, and I, I think that's rather unwise. But, but um, I, I was going to ask you, too, uh, there's the, um, the issue of, getting back to poltergeist, uh, and a possible alien connection. Now, aside from the fact that I, in, this, in, in these cases that were encountered what were apparently beings in a poltergeist situation, they just did not feel human. They felt alien in every sense of the word. And I have uh, worked, uh, not worked with, but sat down with Bud Hopkins, the great alien abduction expert, now, now late uh, Bud Hopkins, and uh, we had looked at a photo album that people, where people had received what he believed were wounds and things of this kind, marks on their bodies from alien abductions. And I almost fell out of the chair because it was exactly the same thing in many cases that I had seen in poltergeist cases. And I'm wondering, what is the connection here? Is it possible that uh, our own interpretation of what these phenomena may be might depend on the context in which we experience them? You know, in other words, if if you see a, a, a light flitting through your living room, aha, a ghost, or you see the soldier walking across, you know, as you, as you've pointed out in your area, uh, aha, a ghost, or, or if you see a, a ball of light above all that and it's out in the field, aha, maybe an alien. That's a simplistic way to put it, but I'm sure you get what I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it, it's based on it, it's one's perception and I guess one's belief system on what they really want it to mean. And, you know, it's kind of really funny that you bring that up, Paul, is because one of the fellows that's on board with our production, um, he's a really fun guy, very, very, very conservative, <laughs> very strong um, Republican, very strong Christian. And it's funny. A lot of times he will not believe in the concept of a ghost. And in some cases, he's actually tried to explain it away as an alien phenomenon. Really? Which is, which is really kind of interesting and intriguing. It is. Because he'll say, what if there was aliens that actually came here or they live amongst us, and it's them that's actually doing this stuff, and it's not ghosts. That's it. Well, I'm afraid we're out of time. Dr. Peter Sacco, a fantastic conversation. We'll be in touch off the air. I uh, would like to stay in touch with you. And, uh, again, uh, your website, uh, petersacco.com. Check it out, folks. Interesting stuff. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thanks for having me, Paul, Ben, and Steve. Have a great night. Thank you. Guys. You too. Bye. Okay. There you yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, visit our show website at behindtheparanormal.com. You can find nearly 600 free podcasts of past shows from both on twelve forty and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with uh, special shows and podcasts. Okay. And you can find my books at Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, and all the usual suspects. Check them out. 
And uh, let's, uh, okay, I guess we're, uh, we're just about out of time. Next Monday, we're going to have a rare open line show. Check us out for that. Check catch up on some emails. And we'll leave you this evening with a telling thought from that old darling Albert Einstein. Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time. Oh, yes. And this is Steve LaPlume with us as <laughs> well. Steve LaPlume. <laughs> and we, <laughs> we will see you next time. Have a good night. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.